Welcome to Hub City Homers. I believe now this is episode 42, um, as of my last count. We are here on the 11th. There's been some major news in Texas Techland with the announcement of a massive new investment into the program. Um, I can't say enough about, you know, what it means to see such large-scale investment happening when there's so much uncertainty in college football. But we're going to dive into that actually next. We're going to dive into things such as why do you do this? What's being done? How, does it really help recruiting? How do you approach this in the new NIL era? What is? How does it compare? Et cetera, et cetera, so on, so on. So do not, you know, hang up early on your your you know your little listen to to miss that. We're going to start in the realignment era, just updating everybody, kind of where we stand now. Some new positions maybe to, to flush out a bit. Hasn't been a ton of movement since the initial wave, but we will discuss a little bit about what maybe even the lack of movement means for the realignment period. And if there's time, we'll talk a bit more into the NIL. Um, you know, the world we live in, it's building off of the facilities talk, what is NIL? What does it mean for Texas Tech and in the future with now the SEC and the Big Ten seemingly becoming their own little professional league? But that's only if we have time. I think we're going to have a pretty good opening discussion regardless. So we will see and play that by ear. As I said, we're starting in realignment and the realignment, you know, I don't know how the polite word to describe it, clown car of, of circus um I mean, it's foobar. It, it, there's no good way to describe what's happening. It's killing our game. But there has not been any new movement yet. Lots of rumors swirling around. So what I first want to start with is addressing rumors from that are a bit more believable and kind of what they mean. Some of these rumors, you're going to see some of these guys, West Virginia bloggers, random tech accounts. They don't know anything. They don't have any sources. Don't listen to them. Pay attention to who you're listening to. And even the big dogs can be wrong. Be very careful where your sources are coming from. Um, for instance, Swim Swam is not breaking major college football news. It's just not happening. It's just not happening. So, you know, that kind of stuff just always faced with, you know, some level of disbelief. But we're going to start with the rumor that I think is most believable, which is that the Big 12 is targeting currently the four corner schools, that being Utah, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and checking the temperature of Oregon and Washington, who may have a bit of a reason to hold out for the Big 10. That rumor picked up steam pretty fast. CBS reported the talks were getting hot and heavy. There's been counter reports that say, no, these, these meetings aren't really happening to that degree. It's just very preliminary phone calls. The Pac-12 is committed to feeling out its TV partners first. Let's start there. Let's take it from this angle. Say the Pac-12 really is buying into this ACC scheduling nonsense, and they're trying to see what ESPN is going to give. What do you think about a world in which the Pac-12 stays at 10? It does not expand. Because I don't think that ESPN is interested in adding Boise State or San Diego State. So say they stay at 10. And they form this little partnership with the ACC. Is that a viable enough response to save that conference? Hell no. I'll go to you. Oh, shit. <laughs> I'm very defiant on that. That, that like, those schools. So, Oregon and Washington are very, very big college football brands. But, you know, outside of those... You have two schools in Stanford and Cal that couldn't give a shit if their football program was successful. I mean, and from what I've seen, you know, ESPN, the best that the Pac-12 as of now could be getting is like $30 million a year per, per each school. And like, A, if I'm the four corner schools, I don't know how they are looking at that and not, you know, loving looking at the Big 12 right now and seeing what they can offer. But the ACC... I just think it's inevitable 
that they lose at least Clemson and Florida State to the SEC. Um, if not, you know, like Miami and other schools, because that it's just if the SEC comes calling, that money is just too much to you know give up. But let's say the Pac-12 does stay at ten and the ACC does stay intact. Um, I still don't think as as far as the Pac-12 goes, like I just don't think that's a viable option because I mean, even if you're getting those matchups, you know, like you're sure maybe you get an Oregon State versus Duke matchup on a nice Saturday night. Like that does nothing. I think you're better off just um like Boise State and San Diego State, like the fact that they're not considering adding those schools as of now, like I think those at just expanding for the Pac-12 and trying to survive just like the Big 12 did is a better option for them than partnering with the ACC because the ACC, to me, if the Pac-12 doesn't go under, I think the next closest conference will be the ACC just due to the fact that they have so many, like, their top brands are very big brands with Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina. Like, it's inevitable that the Big Ten and SEC are both going to come calling. So, um, I just think that the best option for the Pac-12 isn't just staying at 10. Um, I think their best option is, as of right now, just if they're not going to look to, you know, merge with um, Big 12 or something, and they're not going to be in these four corner schools, aren't going to be, you know, calling and applying to the Big 12. I think the Pac 12's next best option is going and getting some of those, um, just those lesser, like the Mountain West schools, because I, I do think that, you know, Boise State and San Diego State, especially, um, those two brands, I think, just in general, are, um, bigger than you know your Oregon State and Washington State like it's obviously not bringing in anything close to what USC and UCLA did nothing there's nothing that they can go get that'll bring that in but if you know if their biggest goal right now is just to survive as a conference they are way better off just kind of going their own way and not partnering with the ACC because all that's going to do for either of those two conferences, I think is going to lose them money more than anything. Yeah. I think, I think the biggest thing with this is just when you talk about the ACC and Pac-12 forming this little alliance, and I, I, I don't know if we fully have flushed out what this means. I think the suggestion I saw last is it has something to do with airing, you know, Pac-12 games on the ACC network. Um, but the, here's the reality situation is for one thing, the ACC is dangerously close to violating its its uh, its its own you know contract of ESPN, if they did that, it would open the door for all of their top programs leaving, who desperately do not want to be there. And if you think you know Clemson and Florida State are thinking great for the ACC, they are not. They are looking at the SEC hard and are going to try to get out as soon as they are able. So if I'm the ACC, screwing with this contract stuff is dangerous on face value. But more than this, what value are you adding to a TV partner airing? product on the ACC network everybody already either has or does not want um it 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 can't possibly 
you know, we're talking about a TV deal in the, you know, 15, 20 million dollar range compared to what the Big Ten is going to be offering, which is 60 to 80 million. Washington and Oregon are gone if they get that offer. Clemson and Florida State are gone. Hell, everyone's going to be gone. So you have, it's who's going to be in third. And here's just the, you know, the dirty truth of the matter. ACC Pac-12 matchups right now are not exciting prospects. You think Clemson, Washington's going to be a great game? Frankly, Washington's heyday's over. You know, they're, they're finished as a relevant program in major college football. I think that's pretty clear. They've been terrible the last several years. I don't think there's evidence that that's suddenly going to rebound. They played a, they play a bad brand of football. And I'm not sure that they're going to fix that anytime soon. But even if they did, is that really an exciting matchup? Is Florida State Cal an exciting matchup? It's just not. There's no scheduling alliance that's going to make your product better. You're going to have to move to the best available conference. It's not viable. The Big 12 would be a better product than the Pac-12 it already is. And in this scenario, the Pac-12 is just praying somebody else doesn't gut it. So I, I don't understand this. If I'm the Four Corner Schools, I don't understand it. There's an arrogance especially Utah. Utah is an extremely arrogant program for being basically just a Mountain West school um, that got a break. So, you know, the, it's it's unjustified arrogance, and they don't like that BYU is in the Big 12, but they're going to have to suck it up because I think if, if they stay in the Pac-12, they will end up in the Mountain West for real. That conference is on death's door. Um, for, you know, the Big 12 always had really good options when Texas OU left. The best of the ACC was right there, ready to jump up. They took the best of the group of five. There's no more good options in the group of five. When SMU is your next best option for Texas product, you're screwed. So it, that's my take, and I'm biased against the Pac-12 because that conference is run hysterically bad, and they are, you know, this is karma for how they treated the Big 12 schools in the aftermath of Texas OU. But I don't see this as viable. I don't see this as being, sir, you know, worth, you know, pursuing it from a TV partner perspective. I don't think it's worth pursuing as a fan. If I was a fan of Cal, why the hell would I care? If I was a fan of Oregon, why the hell would I care? Um, but I'm going to open this up a little differently now with Jack. Jack, we, we know who the six schools are that are being targeted, but there is some reason to believe, some reason to believe, that the most likely pairing of the four corner schools could fall apart because, as I mentioned, Utah has some sort of God complex going for it. If you had to take a fourth with the instead of Utah, you know who are you looking at to potentially fill that four? Because I still think Washington and Oregon's a bit of a pipe dream for the Big Twelve. So just focusing on there, who becomes number four if Utah steps down? Well, if you, I agree with you hundred percent, you know if Utah had any sort of uh, mental capacity, they would jump on this invite. I, I truly agree with you in the fact that uh, I think that if they don't accept this invite from the Big Twelve, they will end up. Uh, in the Mountain West, uh, let's be honest. They've made a they made a Rose Bowl, and um, they got beat by a team from Ohio State that was sitting eight out of their eleven starters on offense. So um, I don't really get where this where this inferior like this superior complex comes from for them. Um, uh, right now, as of today, uh, your biggest uh, in state rival BYU is sitting a lot more pretty than you are if you're if you're Utah right now. Um, I think that in all honesty, uh, if Utah backs out, um, you know, there are a couple options. I I I would almost look at um, you know if if we can only manage to get those teams from uh, those three from the, or I'm sorry, I guess the, uh, 
Yeah, I will. If you want to put it down as Utah stepping away and us only getting Arizona, Arizona State, and Colorado, um, you know, I I wouldn't be opposed to poaching someone, you know, from somewhere else. I mean, the Pac-12 would be easiest, but I think there are other teams out there, especially if you see teams like you mentioned, like Clemson and uh, Florida State, Miami, start jumping ship to the SEC. Um you know, I, there are teams that you can add up there. I, I'm kind of being generous in this sense, and this is another way off thing that might not ever come to fruition or anything, but I wouldn't mind seeing another team kind of up in the area of Cincinnati and West Virginia uh, kind of coming into the fold maybe as like uh, just as a single team. Uh, Virginia Tech's a huge brand. Virginia Tech I like a lot. Um, they're kind of the uh, undervalued in-state uh, team in Virginia. I think that uh, we kind of relate to them in that sense uh, across a lot of sports. They had just they just came off a very seriously impressive baseball campaign. Um, that you know they have the they have good football. They've had it there before, and, and you know they've they might be down or kind of on the on the trending up category in football uh i I really don't know enough about them in the basketball area of things but i wouldn't mind kind of looking at teams somewhere else that's a hypothetical only if uh teams from the acc acc start jumping to the sec Uh, i I would target a team like virginia tech uh kind of put them up there with cincinnati west virginia uh up there kind of give give that north what would be the northeastern part of the Big 12 range? Uh, some thickness, some more uh, school. Um, if if I had to stay in the Pac-12, I, I'd really like Utah. I mean, I, I while I do think that they're a lot more entitled than they should be, I feel like their football program is on the up. Um, they're shit in everything else. They're not good in anything else. So you'd have to rely on their revenue for completely for football. Um, so I would like Utah. I really, I unfortunately, and I say this, I really do mean, unfortunately, I really think that, uh, the teams that will lose out big time on this are going to be, uh, Oregon State and Washington State. I just, I, if we wanted to absorb the rest of the Pac-12, that's one thing. But if we're if we're really going to get selective about who we bring over, I just don't see Oregon State and Washington State getting an invite. Um, it's a hard question because the all of this is so hypothetical and so. You know, if this happens, then this can happen. Or if this over here happens, then something over there happens. And and it's a lot of what ifs and hypotheticals, like I said. But I'm just, I'm hoping that Utah comes to its senses. Because I really do think that a Utah, BYU, uh, the Holy War, one of my favorite uh, names for a rivalry series, the Holy War, in Utah, I think that would be great for a Big 12 revenue conference game. Uh, I think that it would give a, honestly a shot of adrenaline to that series. I know that they've been playing it more recently than they have in the past, but I think 
they, I don't know if they've played it in like three or four years or something, I think is what I saw. So I, I really do think that if Utah was had any sort of, you know, positive thought for themselves and any sort of mental capacity whatsoever, they would take an invite from the Big 12, say thank you and accept it and bring in just a lot more uh, revenue to their college. I think also if they choose to stay, I don't think any of these schools really truly realize how well the Big 12 travels uh, to away games. You don't see teams from, uh, you know, Washington going down to USC for at a conference football game. But I'll I'll be honest with you, you'll see team you'll see people from Lubbock make the trip out to Provo or Salt Lake City for a game in Utah, and I'd be one of the first ones to buy a ticket to an away game at Utah or BYU because I don't know if y'all have seen pictures of their stadiums in any sport, football or baseball or anything outdoors. Their campuses are beautiful. And so I would be one of the first people to buy tickets to go to games out there. So to answer your, I don't really have a straight answer to the question, but I will say that if Utah had any sort of, you know, any sort of competence, uh, they would accept an invite from the Big 12. And I just kind of want to go piggybacking off of just talking about those Pac-12 teams. Um, to me, you know, Mike, you mentioned uh, Washington and how they've kind of been losing their mojo since really they made the playoff back in, what was it, 2017, I think. Um, but I think the big play, and I don't know how achievable it is, but if somehow the Big 12 can pull off getting Oregon and Washington and possibly some of the ACC schools too. That's just like relying on a lot of, you know, implosion and basically the SEC uh, storming into the ACC, you know, and taking possibly, you know, Florida State, Clemson. And if they, if they leave Miami out there, that's going to be like, that's, it's a really, it's a pipe dream. But if you're somehow able to get Oregon, Washington, and a brand like Miami or just one of those bigger brands, not only do I think the Big 12 um, is competing, you know, I think they stay right there as one of the top power conferences, but I also just think um, those TV networks, maybe not ESPN, but like as soon as Notre Dame, you know, it's... I feel I want to say it's inevitable that they have to join a conference and that and that conference would be the Big 10. But the the reality is as much as I hate to say it like everything really relies on what Notre Dame decides to do because that's going to cause you know the Big 10 to start making more decisions once Notre Dame decides what they're doing. But and that's when Oregon and Washington's invites could come to the Big Ten, but if the Big 12 can somehow convince Oregon and Washington to at least join the Big 12, I think that that right there brings in, you know, especially Oregon, like they have become one of the top brands in uh, in college football, not only just because of their success, but that Nike, that Nike check and Phil Knight and his ties to Oregon, like that just really has made them, to me, at least in the last decade, they've been a top 10 brand in college football. And that just bring, right there will bring eyes to the Big 12. 
and it also brings you know somewhat of a type of powerhouse it brings you um just you know it, we lost Oklahoma Texas so you need that established brand so you can get more like I guess more brands can build off of them too. And I think tech uh, has a very good chance, you know, if this new big 12 happens, if we can get these new schools in there and stay a power conference, I truly believe that, you know, with the way tech has started to see more and more success, um, you know, especially in other sports with basketball and baseball being the big ones, but um, that's all going to help out with football too. And um, if the route we're on right now is any, you know, projection of what our future is going to be with not only recruiting, but, you know, with the money that's being invested into the program, like tech has a very good opportunity here in the next four to five years to really establish themselves. And maybe if the Big 12 doesn't work out, they can at least establish themselves so they can be in play for one of those bigger conference invites. So, you know, like we've said that this is all like speculation on what nobody has any idea what's actually going to happen with realignment. But, you know, if, uh, if what best case scenario, the big 12 stays a thing. And I just, I think it's best case scenario that we get the pac 12 schools because I think that way that's the best way tech is going to be able to build their football brand. We talk a lot about brand and money and the eyeballs a lot in college sports. And that, that's kind of a depressing thing. You know, it should just be about product on the field, especially for the power five. You know, I, I, I feel for the group of five programs. I really do. Cause they've been having this battle for years and now kind of everybody's on the outside looking in. But when you're talking about this stuff too, there is the recruiting aspect of it. And that's, that's kind of how I want to segue with that kind of mindset into our next discussion, which is going to be about the initiative that was announced today. You know, tech is facing in a certain sport sporting world um, a changing target for recruiting and a changing definition of what it means to be, you know, a, a Big 12 program. Um, what is that going to mean? Is it going to have this anywhere near the same prestige as it did? Um, are you going to be the third best program? What does it mean now that Texas and OU gone for the conference recruiting crown? You know, that you're not competing against Blue Blood OU and uh, uh, an always hot Texas team that never does anything with the talent, but has their own national titles and own facilities. But the two top programs in recruiting are gone. So Tech announces a new $200 million initiative. Jack, you were able to listen live. Give me your, you know, your kind of initial thoughts on what you heard, what you saw, what, what, what we're talking about, and then we'll start getting into the meat of what, what does this mean for Tech and why they're pursuing this project. I think it was very uh, evident as to why uh, now and why the uh, investment happens now. Uh, to me, it seemed like there is a lot of excitement behind everything just from watching the live stream. And, uh, you know, they had Kirby Hokut on there and, you know, he was pumped up about it. Uh, they had a few guys from the program on there, uh, Rodriguez, um, Jay Rodriguez and Henry Teeter and Taj Brooks. Uh, by the way, I don't know if y'all seen Taj Brooks. Uh, he looks yoked, absolutely jacked. 
Um, but I think it was very apparent as to why that it happens now. And I mean, it, and it's not a secret, you know, as you mentioned, Texas and OU are gone soon. So there's a crown to be had. And, you know, you can look back on it and say, well, Texas and OU weren't even in the Big 12 championship this past year. That's true. They weren't. Uh, there's work to be done, even with this huge new investment in this awesome new facility that's going to be uh, on the South Plains. There's work to be done. Uh, I'm very optimistic in the recruiting aspect, uh, just with Joey McGuire himself. I mean, look at all that he's been able to manage to do just in the time that he's been in Lubbock. And that was with the old facilities. And now think about what he'll be able to do with this new stuff. Um, I think it's a wake up call to people who are kind of torn between tech and another school uh, that the commitment is there for the long term. Uh, $200 million is not chump change. The players seemed excited about it. Joey McGuire, when he came on, seemed excited about it. Um, this is definitely the athletic department throwing all their weight and confidence in him. And I think he knows that. And needless to say, a lot of it, a lot of this money is very possibly because of him. He's very good at relationships. He knows a lot of people already prior to taking this job. And with, from what I've seen, at least he's very good at making new relationships. So it would not surprise me if a lot of this, uh, money has come to the athletic department since they hired him. Uh, you know, there, this, I know, Kendall, I know that you, uh, you've been a tech fan since, uh, the 08 UT game. And that's when tech got a lot of fans. Uh, I've been going to tech games. My, my family's had season tickets at tech since before I was born. Um, my first tech game, I was, like, I believe I was eight months or nine months old at my first Tech game. So I've been going to Tech games for as long as I can remember and my entire life. And now that I'm sitting about to turn 29 years old, um, I don't know if I've ever really felt a buzz like this around the program. Uh, there's definitely one in 09 after the year we beat Texas, there's definitely a huge buzz that next year, even with everyone, even after everyone left. Um, but this is definitely uh, very similar to those times. It's very reminiscent of that. And I would definitely go out on a limb saying that I don't think there has been this much hype around the program since about six or seven games into Cliff Kingsbury's first year in Lubbock. And I'm thinking that was 2013 when we started seven and zero. granted. Yes. We ended up losing out the next five games because we had a back heavy schedule, but I think we got up to like 
14 or fi- thir- 13 or 14 in the rankings because we had won. We were seven and up. We were undefeated. But the hype is at an all time high. And I don't want to use this as a downer, but I kind of want to bring everyone that's listening to this back down to earth a little bit. All of this is great. All of this $200 million is fantastic. Uh, the new facility is going to be beautiful. And it's definitely going to put tech on the map, not just in the Big 12, but nationally. I would be willing to say nationally as well. Um, I would... The level-headed part of me wants to just keep everyone tempered in their expectations for this first year. We'll get into this farther along down the line, but we're still very early into this tenure. We're still very early into an offense that needs to be learned by everyone. We're still very early into a defense that needs to be learned by everyone, a first-time head coach. You know, we're – this is a very young program in terms of experience at the coaching level. This is extremely young. Um, you know, Kitley was at Houston Baptist two years ago. Um, Western Kentucky last year, Texas Tech. So, I mean, you're talking exponential jumps. Uh, you know, Tim DeRoyter is your most experienced guy pretty much, uh, maybe other than Emmett Jones, who's your wide receivers coach. Uh you know, I just want to temper expectations a little bit because uh, I, I read something yesterday that there was someone on Twitter that was in our mentions that was saying that they fully expected Tech to go 9-3 and three this year or something like that. And I'm just telling you right now, that's not going to fucking happen. Um, all this is great, and these are all building blocks, but we have to take steps up. You don't, you don't go from the bottom step on the stairs to the top step in one giant leap, you know, uh, you have to take the steps up to get there. And, uh, granted this step is a monumental building block. It's a very solid foundation and it's something that will help us in the long run in more ways than we can even imagine right now. But let's just, pump the brakes a little bit on our expectations for the outcome of this coming season. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's, let's be honest here. You know, we're going to get into deep dives on expectations on, you know, individual opponents, win loss records, but I do want to, you know, I guess foreshadow those discussions by saying this is a particularly deep or no, this is a particularly uh, deep schedule. You've got, you know, there, there's a lot of good teams on it. The Big 12 is going to be a very competitive race this year. Not a lot of easy wins to be found. Your non-conference schedule is really probably one of the hardest in the country. Um, if NC State and Houston do what is, what's expected, they are, you know, I guess presumed top 15 teams. But if they if they both pan out in that range of even just being top 25 teams, it's an extremely challenging non-conference. So, you know, th- this investment is long-term, which is what, when you're looking at this, you should be thinking about, to me, it is an investment in Joey McGuire, number one, but it is an investment in the overall state of the program. And I saw something, um, there was a 
a guy on Twitter, there were a lot of people asking, like, why would Tech do this? You know, it's not like they're going to win anything, blah, blah, blah. Look, the Texas, I mentioned this, but Texas and OU are gone. Those were the top recruiters in the Big 12. You're not competing against Texas and Oklahoma anymore. Guys, I've been to Waco. It's a shithole. You know, Fort Worth isn't anything to write home about. These places that are left, you know, no offense to BYU, it's beautiful out there, but you have to be a Mormon effectively to want to go to BYU or get a really nice offer in the athletic department. That's, it's not for everybody. Cincinnati's not for everybody. Ames, Iowa's not for everybody. You're not talking about blue blood programs, metropolises. You're talking about a lot of schools like Tech now. You know, TCU's probably the nicest, and their fans don't give a shit at all. You know, they don't have a fan base to speak of when it comes to football or basketball. You know, they're, they're in the nicest location. Their facilities aren't good, and the fan base doesn't care. You know, it's we're not looking at, I guess, probably the second nicest is Oklahoma State. And I, I mean, no offense to Stillwater. It is actually a very nice town if you've never gotten to go. But nobody thinks anything of Oklahoma or Stillwater. You're not competing against Austin anymore. You're not competing against Oklahoma's bajillion titles and conference championships. You're competing against schools like you without a lot of history of elite success. You're competing with schools like you that are not necessarily thought that well of. And you're competing against programs like you have have had moments of competitive fruit, fruitlessness. I mean, you know, U of H is a commuter school, guys. There's no love for the Cougars in Houston. They have not good facilities um, tucked away in a not very great area of Houston. The campus is not anything to write home about. Nobody lives on campus. They don't go to the games. I was at NRG. For any Houston fan who's going to be pissed off about this later, I mean, no disrespect. I wish Houston embraced it more. I like that local fans root for local colleges. This isn't a knock on the university. It's landlocked and kind of a tough spot. There's not a lot of room to grow. There's not a lot of room to expand to. The stadium's perfectly nice. It's just small. And it's not in a good spot. Um, it just isn't. And then anybody wants to call me out on that, they can. But I've been there. I live 10 minutes from the stadium. It ain't great. But I was at NRG this year. I was in the press box. It was an embarrassingly bad turnout for U of H. The biggest, no, grant, the biggest, no, the biggest group was their band. Yeah, no, it was awful, guys. Like, it did no shit. Tech did. Tech does not travel well to Houston. It's not a big alumni base. Um, was it was a you know coach about to be fired? kind of opening. There was a lot of nerves. Not a lot of energy. Tech roughly had the same crowd as a home U of H in a pro stadium in what was their biggest game of the season. Like, make no mistake, Cincinnati was a massive game for them. But at besides Cincinnati, who we didn't know was going to be all that in a bag of chips, this was the biggest game on their schedule. And they lost that game. And a lot of the reason why they lost that game is they really needed some help from the home fans when things started to get tight there in the in the the, the second uh, half. When things start to tighten up, you want your home fans. Now, if I heard all kinds of excuses for this. Well, the students couldn't go. Guys, NRG is five, ten minutes tops from where everybody lives. If you've never been to Houston, it's chicken shit to say that the kids couldn't have gotten there. Parking's expensive, but you could have Ubered. It, it would have cost you 20 bucks to park. The chickets were dirt cheap, and they were plenty of them. I was in the press box looking down, and the thought that came to mind as I was sitting next to some U of H folks, I was sitting next to their stat team, was these stat guys give a, sh- a lot more of a shit than anybody else in the and in, and in, in Houston does. That's not in the stadium, you know. Like these stat guys really care and want they want to help this program out any way they can. And if anybody in this city had the same kind of mentality, the stadium would be at least half full. But, you know, that, that, that I, I don't want to par- beat up the Cougs too bad because I don't have anything particularly against U of H. I'm just pointing this out. Like, you're not competing against recruiting royalty. So for people wondering, well, why is Tech doing this? You know, Lubbock sucks. One, you want to know how you compete with stuff like that is you build nice facilities and everybody else. These are the nicest facilities left in the state. 
don't believe me. Texas's facilities, guys, are not particularly impressive. They're good. Don't get me wrong. DKR is a great venue. They're not, they're not, you know, like they're, I think they've rebuilt a lot of their stuff over the years. They're rebuilding the basketball facility too, but they're not like worlds ahead of everybody else. Texas wins on brand recognition in Austin. You take them off the board. Nobody's got nicer facilities than you now. Yours are the nicest in the state. Yours are some of the nicest in the country. That's how you compete against the idea that we don't want to play in Lubbock. You know, you're, you're going to get negative recruited there. So if people are going to not want to play in Lubbock, then they don't want to play in the premier, you know, uh, football facility in the state. That's how you compete. And more than this, in the NIL era, why do you do this? Why not just give the money direct to the kids? Because you can't make this kind of investment in the players. You just can't. $200 million is not going to find its hand in the hands of the players. This investment is not going to take money away that's going to NIL for those kids. Um, that's just reality. This is a collective made up of some really, really rich people, and I guarantee you that it was really rich people are the ones funding our NIL ende- endeavors, and they're not doing that unless they could do both. So it's not hurting you in any way. It is helping you. And more than anything else, it was about time. You know, I think the baseball facilities need an upgrade as well for similar reasons. It was time to upgrade the Jones a bit more, build up the stadium, clean up that south side, which was looking really dated, and really, you know, polish yourself up as you head towards a very uncertain future. But the angle I want to pivot to now with Kendall is, Kendall, I did mention the NIL stuff. You know, what kind of recruiting impact do you expect? Does Do, do recruits actually respond to these facilities? You know, or, or is this something actually worth writing home about? Well, I have actually quite a few examples that I can just kind of throw out there. I'll start local since I'm from Iowa. The two major schools, and when you think of the state of Iowa in general, nobody, like, like Jack said, nobody is dying to go to Ames, Iowa. But... What Iowa State did, and it was shortly after um, Matt Campbell got there, they rebuilt their south end zone and gave them new practice facilities, and they're still investing in their football program. And in that short amount of time, Iowa State has gone from the absolute – besides Kansas, they were the laughing stock of the conference in football. Like nobody respected them. Every single year, you know, besides when Seneca Wallace was there, that program was just in the shitter. As soon as those facilities came, their recruiting went up. Their their wins went up. They went to a Fiesta Bowl two years ago and won the damn thing. Like, that is, I'm not going to say it's solely because of those facilities because Matt Campbell is a great coach and he's a fantastic recruiter, but those facilities matter and i another and also just at the university of iowa they rebuilt their north end zone they built you know top of the line facilities and in the last two seasons they have gotten the two highest rated recruits in their program's history and bringing it still in the big 12 you look at baylor they just i mean recently they got mclean stadium and you know they have their program has just continued to rise and those are just like a few examples, and there are plenty all around the country, especially, you know, um, down south with the SEC, like all of those programs every single year. You have schools like, you know, now you have schools like Kentucky who are mainly basketball schools that are now investing in football, and it's showing. Like Kentucky is on the up and up. They have been around eight, nine wins now for the last three years. So, you know, this – 
school, these schools that are investing in their football programs, it pays off. And the reason I think it's going to pay off for tech more than I think it has for anyone else is because just the state of Texas, you know, you have so much elite football talent right there in the home state of Texas. And you have one of, if not the best recruiter of the state of Texas as your head football coach. And now you're going to give him all this ammunition. You know, this is before NIL. You're giving him the best facilities in the state. You're going to give him, you know, just that much more firepower to sell to these recruits. When right now, I mean, look at our 2023 class. Like, you know, it maybe um, we're not getting like the big old five stars yet, but you add in this facility and you add in also just NIL in general, we still have very big donors, you know, and they're going to continue to invest in this program. And that includes the NIL. I really think that tech football is going to be a sleeping giant. And like Jack said, you can't go into this season expecting, you know, nine wins. That's just ridiculous. You know, this is really going to be kind of a, a warm up year for Joey McGuire, but I expect this program after this season, especially once UT and uh, OU are gone. Um, I expect Tech at the top of the conference almost every year for as far as recruiting goes. And I really think that that is going to translate because I think that your biggest advantage, if you if you have elite facilities, that's the biggest advantage you can have because um, as far, besides like obviously fantastic coaches, but you know, schools, I'm not going to compare tech to schools like UT, OU, but like those schools do not succeed without their recruiting firepower. And you just gave tech all the ammunition in the world with this $200 million facility. Like I, I just don't see a situation where tech does not continue to rise recruiting rankings. And like Mike has really preached, like there is nobody right now in the new big 12 that has a very clear cut advantage to take, you know, take over that top recruiting spot because, you know, Baylor, we are yet to see, you know, what their recruiting game looks like without Joey McGuire. Um, you know, we don't know how much of their you know, recruiting game was taken with the, with Joey McGuire and some of the staff members he brought. And Oklahoma State, I mean, you know what you're getting with Mike Gundy, but at the same time, um, he's been really inconsistent at times with recruitings. There's some years he gets very elite talent, but other years where they kind of fall off. And the rest of the conference, you know, T- TCU is just, you know, I don't know what to expect out of them because, you know, They've had the same coach for 20 years and now they're kind of starting fresh and they're kind of, you know, I want to say they're a little lagging behind, but like schools like Cincy, you know, UCF, Houston coming in as far as recruiting goes, they aren't a threat to me, like to to tech. I just don't think that they're going to be a threat recruiting wise for what the player, the type of players tech will pursue, but I'm very honest here. I really think that tech will start to bring in, you know, 
I'm not going to say five stars right away, but they will bring in those upper four stars. And I think that ultimately this is going to be looked back on in about five years as one of, if not the biggest recent move of tech football. Like, and like Jack said, the buzz around this program hasn't been like this since back in the Mike Leach days. And I think that they could even, the buzz just could continue to increase if our recruiting continues to take the steps that it does. And, but the big thing to me, and it all comes back to kind of this realignment stuff because we don't know what college football will look like in four to five years. We don't know what conference tech could be in in four to five years. So, you know, to kind of establish ourselves after this facility is finished is going to be really huge because this facility is going to bring us more opportunities, whether it's realignment or just taking over the Big 12. And um, But the, the opportunities are endless to me. And, you know, Mike, you brought up NIL, and it is going to be still a very big part of recruiting, but these facilities take a very big weight off that shoulder or shoulder because in reality, like NIL is going to be important, but I think the elite players, the talented players care more about, you know, getting better more about those facilities because they know they're going to make their money in the future. And like the guys at Texas A&M, like, yes, they've been, you know, paying their way, but their facilities aren't as nice as this new tech facility is going to be. And um, I just think this is going to, we're going to look back on this and it's going to be possibly the biggest move for tech football, definitely in recent history, but like, you know, 10 years from now, we could be looking at it as what changed the game and what helped us elevate as a program. What you have to remember is when, when you're talking about facilities, you got to look at who you're actually competing against. Um, and I, I talked about the Big 12 in particular, but if you look across the nation, because recruiting is a national game, and you know when you're looking at this through the, ven, the, the lens of NIL stuff, you know Oregon has some of the nicest facilities, not nicest facilities in the country. That, that's Phil Knight's, you know, his purpose before he dies is going to be to make Oregon, like, you know, functionally the most futuristic crazy ass campus ever you know it's, it's his purpose to, to baby Oregon that's that he's taking care of his school but outside of Oregon when you're looking at the ACC Pac-12 and the Big 12 there's nobody with nicer facilities anymore um, and you're not competing against you know many schools with more history now the ACC has a couple of programs with some real history to it Washington being in Oregon out in the pack but when you're looking at the national because here's the thing the SEC and the Big Ten are about to be completely separate I am convinced that they staged their own playoff in the next five, 10 years. And I think that'll be the end of college sports. We know it, and it's going to change. So this is the kind of investment you have to look at against who you're up against. You can't compete with Florida state and Clemson's national titles. You can't compete with the people who just want to live in Miami and their national titles. You can't compete with the brands of Washington, Oregon, What you can compete with is, you know, Utah, right? Like you can compete with Colorado. You can compete with, Cal and Stanford and these schools that they have advantages over you and you got to make up the ground with buy-in institutional level buy-in. And that happens at the facility level. Other thing to think about guys, I mentioned this before, this money was in their war chest. This, you don't come up with $200 million in a year. 
$200 million is like a five-year strategic plan to raise. This was decided well before the NIL ball really got rolling, and you're not going to suddenly divert that money to NIL investments. Now, did the price of oil probably help get this across the finish line? You bet your ass it did. Don't, don't underestimate that. And I'm going to say something Jimbo Fisher was too big of a pussy to say or too arrogant, but they're, you, know, you guys are just poor if you don't like this. That, that, that's, that's, I'm, I'm, tired, I'm tired of people beating around the bush about you know, money in college sports. Everybody's spending money, and if you're like squeamish about that, then your school's probably just broke. And that, that's, that's, what, that's what Jimbo Fisher should start saying. That's what Nick Saban should start saying. That's what these coaches should start saying in the NIL world. So we're going to say it here. If you think that this is gaudy and unnecessary, you're probably right, but you're also probably falling behind. Um, we're, we spend money in college sports. We're not – that's – Tech didn't start that, and they're certainly not even the biggest, you know, spender of it. So, you know, there, there, there's just – I'm not going to get squeamish about, you know, buying in. And I, th- I hope, you know, these guys' next plan is to continue to fund the NIL investments, and I'm sure it is. But, you know, you're not going to suddenly get five-star guys to come to Tech without winning. And in order to win, you need to get players better. And while these facilities aren't going to necessarily immediately correlate to getting players better, it'll start getting you the three- and four-star guys you need to start taking the next step. I, I, if I haven't said it on this show, I'm sure I have, but the gap between a – you know, five four win program and a seven eight win program is the most important gap to bridge. Once you get to eight wins a year, it is much easier to get to ten to twelve wins. When you're stuck in that four or five win land, it is really really hard just to get back to eight. It's really hard. It takes a lot of time and effort because you're falling behind. When you get to eight wins, you're you know a couple of breaks, a couple of plays away from playing for a conference title. So that's where tech has to get to. And these facilities help get guys in the program who are going to buy in and help you get to that stage. And once you're at that stage, God forbid that the SEC and Big Ten hold off a few years, maybe you can get to the stage of being a serious national title competitor. You were there once. You know, you were right there in 2008. So, you know, it, it's not like this is going to cure everything for tech, and it's not like this is going to do it overnight. But this is the kind of investment you have to make in your program and show people you're serious about making while you can in order to, one, help out your recruiting effort, two, show support for your head coaches and your program, and three, and an underrated part of this is realignment. Tech may not end up in the Big 12 long term. There's no guarantee, no guarantee that the Big 12 remains viable, and it's important to show future suitors or really just even if you go the other way, teams, you want people to come join the Big 12, show them that the Big 12 is serious about football. PAC never was. And it's serious about sports for years. So this is the kind of stuff you got to do, that there's money to be spent here. There's a reason to care. Um, and all of that builds to, you know, the culmination of this, which is the idea that Joe McGuire is inheriting a program that was in a bad way. He's brought a lot of energy. And it's it's infectious, and now we have this big th- – guys, again, this was not planned since Joey McGuire was hired. There's no chance this came together that fast. If, if it did, I, I apologize, but I would bet a lot of money Hokut's been scheming this for a few years. Um, so it, th- he's in, he, he's coming in at a great time with a lot of excitement, bringing a lot of excitement and energy with him. The program's throwing some more, you know, wood in the fire, and we're going to see what happens this year. Don't let it dampen your your you know your your mood if the program doesn't immediately explode to the Big Twelve title game. It, it's going to be a tough year potentially. Could be a good year. You could you could be solid, but it could be a bad year. So you just have to play that one by ear. Uh, I'm going to let Jack close this out here with one last question before I, I bring the show to the end. Jack, we, we talked a lot about competitiveness and 
realignment. I beat up on Houston plenty, and I feel bad about that. I kind of took some cheap shots at the Cougars, which, again, I really don't care about U of H. Um, I don't have that, like, Southwest Conference hate for him, so that was unintentional. I just I happen to be at NRG and live here, and I know the city. But um, we've talked a lot about, you know, the future of the college game and all this stuff. But I want to take one sec to look closely at the present, which is just to say when you're looking at where Tech is today as compared to where they were, you know, game one last season. So that that we've now we're approaching the start of Joey McGuire's era in a couple months, but they're so not quite to one and one. But you look at game one of the Matt Wills era to now, what to you has been, you know, your general thought about the program's um, trajectory. You know, if, if we don't know what this team's going to do in year one, we don't know if co- the taking a risk on a young staff is going to work. But how do you feel now about Tech program as compared to almost a year ago? You know, it's a good question. And there are a lot of different ways you can go with it. I, I am truly one of those people – while I have no ill will towards Matt Wells at all, uh, I do not think that that was a good hire. I didn't like the hire from day one, and I was a very vocal um, hater, I could say, of Matt Wells. I, I didn't like the hire. I didn't think he was right for Tech uh, as a coach. Was he a good guy? You know, I had never talked to him, but... I'm sure he was. He's good to the, he treated the players well, which is all you can ask for. Uh, Today, as we're sitting here, you can't help but feel good about it. You can't help but feel that we're in a better place. Uh, Even if you take away everything that was announced tonight, you take away the $200 million investment into the program. You take away the whole renovation of the South end zone. I feel like you can't help, but be optimistic just because of the energy that Joey McGuire brings to the program. There's a lot of, there's a lot of talk and, and such, but I just feel like he wants to be here. I never really got that feeling with Matt Wells. And, and again, I mean, no disrespect or anything like that. Uh, I think Matt Wells is a great guy. Uh, just not a great coach for Texas Tech. I really, truly think that Joey McGuire wants to be here. I think that he feels as though he can build Texas tech into a perennial big 12 power and uh, n- national contender. It, just with his recruit. I mean, we all have looked at what he's done the past, uh, you know, few months since he's been hired just in the recruiting game alone, you know, sitting, sitting at the top of a, of a national recruiting class, even and you know, we're not delusional, you know, we all, we all three and, uh, we all know that that wasn't going to last. We weren't going to finish with the top recruiting class in 2023. I mean, that's absurd to think about. But just to have it for an extended amount of time, for a couple of weeks, it was nice to see. It was nice to see that, you know, he was jumping in, 
you know, head first, feet first, however you want to look at it. And, you know, he was going for it. And it's a refreshing change. Uh, you, you come from someone who, uh, you know, wasn't really a good recruiter, really, so to speak, other than the transfer portal. Uh, and even before him, a, a coach that admittedly, from the words of his own mouth, didn't like to recruit. He hated recruiting. He said it in an interview. He hated recruiting. Uh, you know, we're, we're at a different place than we were 10 years ago. Uh, tech, tech football has been in such a bad place for so long, and it's been from Tuberville. Tuberville is a terrible he, – he really screwed Tech over in a bad way. Uh, Cliff wanted to do well, and everyone wanted Cliff to do well, but it just didn't work out, and that's fine. Sometimes things like that don't work. Matt Wells never really got a fair shake, but I don't think he would have done really that much better <laughs> even if he would have gotten a couple more years. I, I still don't think that uh, he, he would have excelled. So I think it's easy to see at least for me it is that this is probably what the, our best head coaching hire in the last 10 years uh possibly in since leach left and uh you know the program looks good uh i like the trajectory that we're going at the foundation is definitely there and i'll go ahead and add in what we have been told tonight the foundation is definitely there uh, this program can make huge strides. Again, I will reiterate, as all three of us have mentioned, this is going to be a building block year. This is not a year where Joey McGuire comes in and you're you know, a game away from the Big 12 championship. That's not going to happen, especially with this schedule. As, as Mike mentioned, you know, I, I – I truly feel that Houston and NC State could be top 15 teams by the end of the year, and they may take us to the doghouse in, in non-conference play. And, and you know what? That's fine. But as long as we're making strides, as long as we can say that we got better than we were the day before, I will leave or I will end my spiel with one thing. Um, Texas Tech – or I will say, I'll, I'll go broader here. Uh, the Big 12 Conference announced it's all conference teams, preseason teams. Texas Tech was the only school that did not have one person on any team. Kansas even had a DB on the first team, all Big 12. Tech was the only team, only school that didn't have a person on the team. Uh, no love for offense, defense, or special teams. Um, and I will say this, I feel a lot better with the way Tech looks right now than I would if I was an Oklahoma State fan and Spencer Sanders was my starting quarterback. So I will leave with that. Yeah, I, I think – a lot of what you said reflects, I think, the mood of a lot of people in the program. I, I, I believe you'd be pretty hard-pressed right now to find someone who was still holding out that Matt Wells deserved more time or that, you know, 
the program isn't heading the right way. And it's important to note with that last, you know, kind of sad reality about no one in the Big 12 list. I think that's ridiculous. You're telling me no one deserved to be on the list. Tyreek Wilson inside, any of these receivers, Miles Price will finish on there. Um, Taraji Thompson likely will finish on there. Um, one of the running backs. Ha- one of the running backs has to. Yeah, like it just they're, 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 that whole thing was dumb as hell. Like I, I think that's a media vote and a coaching vote. I don't remember the, the exact rules for how that's decided, how they how that's actually done, how the voting for that works. But that that was dumb. You know, like that's that was a stupid thing that the the, the leaks, you know, voters did, and it, it's not going to be a thing. There's just no chance that that's how that ends up. But it does reflect where you should understand tech is as a program. That's where you are. That's where you are right now. And if you to get better next year, you want to be in a position where people are thinking instead of finishing right ahead of Kansas, just barely, maybe you get picked fifth in the Big Twelve next year. Maybe the year after that, it's third. You want to be working your way up in postseason and preseason projections because that isn't to say that they mean anything, right? Like Texas is way overranked in this. I can't believe people are as low on Kansas State as they are. You know, these don't mean anything in terms of actual on-field product, but it reflects perception. And perception is what tech needs to change first and foremost. And to do that, you got to show you're getting better. I read an article and I don't agree with a lot of the premise about, you know, if tech were to finish four and eight and win, you know, one big upset, it'd be a good year. That's not true. But what I do think is true is if you're going to go four and eight, five and seven, six and six, you know, what is a mediocre kind of unsatisfactory year? I want it to be because you were competitive in every game. That's something we've been missing. First, you just got to be competitive in every game. No more blowouts. No more of these where you walk into – I remember that Tech was playing OU against Jalen Hurts, and um, this was after uh, uh, Bowman had gotten hurt, and um, Jet Duffy was going to be your quarterback for the day. And I remember watching the pregame show, and it's OU, so they're talking about him. And Kerr Herbstreet, they asked Heat for his prediction. Prediction, He said, before Bowman's injury, I would have thought maybe a contest, but now it's a layup. That perception in some of these big games has been there. It's got to get to the point where no matter who's playing you, it, it it means something to have to come to Lubbock to play. Or it means something to see Tech in your stadium. That teams are a little worried for some magic. And that's where you got to start. And that's going to start soon. We're going to start breaking this down probably around August is when August 1st, I think, is when we'll record our first official football-centric episode. We'll start breaking all this down. We're going to have one or two more episodes regarding just topics that come to us, Tech Sports, NIL, the NCAA, whatever the hell we can think of. I hope you guys enjoyed the show tonight. Wreck them and enjoy looking at the pictures of the new facility.